Welcome back to the fourth episode of UWDogPound.com's football podcast. Rob again here, and joined this week by Jeff and Lucas. Hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? What is up, Husky Nation? Hey, guys. Thanks for joining the podcast. We are recording today on a Tuesday evening. Um, the Fresno State UW game was a Saturday night, of course. UW pulled out the victory 48-16. to Overall, a, a pretty successful game, obviously, for the Dogs. They they looked great. They did the job. By the second half, there were a lot of backups in. So the last of the preseason, or however you want to look at it, games, with uh, Colorado coming up next week to start Pac-12 play. But uh, let's take a quick look at the Fresno game. Jeff, uh, what, did, what did you think of the Fresno game? Was there anything specific that stood out to you that you were looking for? I think just continued refinement um, of the offense and just seeing what player what roles are starting to fall into place. Um, I wrote about it a little bit in my in my piece today for the blog and really just establishing trying to find like an X factor. Really just trying to find more playmakers on offense. Um, you know, I think some of the receivers and guys we have on the team. Uh, I mean, outside of Pettis and Vaughn Coleman and Miles Gaskin and obviously Jake Browning. There's not really, like, another playmaker on offense. I mean, Chico McClatcher a little bit, but um, it feels like they're really trying to find roles to get Savon Ahmed and Hunter Bryant uh, on the field a bit more. So, really, that was my kind of main takeaway, is just seeing what how those roles are going to shake out. Yeah, definitely, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I would add um, kind of what you were talking about in terms of playmakers. Well, going to the receivers, it was nice. I know I mentioned in the last episode to see that I'd like to see the Huskies um, have somebody step up in the receiver court not named Dante Pettis and catch a touchdown. And while that didn't happen in terms of the touchdown catch, uh, I thought that the receiver core as a whole played really well. Uh, Fuller, Aaron Fuller had a nice game. Brandon Lenny has had a nice game. Um, they both had four catches. Yeah, that, that series with uh, Braden was actually pretty exciting where they kept going to him. Yeah, he had like three yeah. in a row there on one, uh, one drive, I think. A couple first downs. If it works, keep going to it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he showed a little bit of a flash of what he could of his you know immense potential at six foot five, two hundred thirty pounds at the receiver position. And also, um, I would suggest our listeners if they haven't yet to check out Brad and John's uh, film study piece that's on the blog right now. It's it's really great, and I think they show uh, they have a nice breakdown of some of the run blocking that went well, and in most of the clips. You can see Lenius um, doing a great job, just kind of sealing the edges and really using his size, um, which is which is great for you know just to see that maturation for him and all the stuff he's gone through, and that's that's a big sign for a wide receiver when they can not only run the routes and catch catch balls, but also commit to blocking. So that was great to see as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was the Huskies did exactly what they should do as a you know top ten ranked team against a team like Fresno State, which has come out and just bury them early. And they didn't even need the whole half to do it. They just did it in the first quarter, you know, scored 27 unanswered in the first quarter. Obviously, uh, we've gone about, I'm sure, about five minutes or so talking without bringing up Pettis' monster night, which is impressive that it took us that long to get to it. But he ended up with four touchdowns and obviously his eighth punt return of his career, three, third, third of the season, third straight game. Is the power turn, which is pretty crazy. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if I've ever heard of a player having a pot return in three straight games. I mean, I'm sure it's happened yeah. before, but that's pretty insane. I'm actually pretty sure it's either an NCAA record. It might just be a conference record, but three and three is is a record, at least at the Pac-12 level. Uh, but to be honest, I don't think, I mean, yeah, I don't know if 
I've even, I mean, even two in a row, that's, that always makes the news. But yeah, typically it's, it's so rare to see someone return this many blocks for touchdowns, especially without, and I mean, he's also had a few called back over the years too for blocks in the back. And yeah, to have yeah, last, last year against Oregon, he took one back that was, you know, that was set up by a blatant block in the back. But yeah, still. I, I, yeah, yeah. On, um, actually, I remember that it was on Brandon Wellington. I do remember that very clearly. <laughs> a while ago but yeah that was uh that's that's right um yeah no he's he was really incredible and those two catches on the fade routes were really nice uh i mean great great passes from browning but also really nice adjustments for the ball uh from pettis yeah you can tell that browning loves that you know it's like he's dropping that pass in a you know garbage can he really feels looks comfortable throwing that pass that fade route but i mean if yeah i think fans should go back and watch pettis's footwork on those to fade route touchdowns because it's pretty incredible. I mean, he puts yeah. puts the corner on skates uh, quite a bit in both of them, and it's it's pretty fun to watch. Um, and it's kind of like you know, fans have a good impulse, and I, I share it of like uh, going back to Lenius of oh, how is he not just you know how are we not just throwing fades to Lenius you know all the time when we're in the red zone? He's six five two thirty, and yeah, he's got great size. But I mean, Pettis is a perfect example of the fact that it's about footwork just as much as it is about size. And, um, I mean, Ross showed it last year. Browning was really comfortable throwing fades to Ross, and he's obviously not the biggest guy, but he's got incredible fo- – he had obviously incredible quickness and athleticism, but also had worked on his footwork enough to the point last year where he was just absolutely deadly in the red zone. And I think Pettis, you know, it's going to be a different – I don't – I'm not going to say he's going to emulate what John Ross did last year in terms of catches or yards or touchdowns. But I will say that I think Pettis has uh, a real chance to be as big of a threat in the red zone last year as Ross was um, with that with that fade route and you know other routes as well. But yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and to go back on what you were saying with Braden Lenius, um, you know, he, 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 you're right; he's not getting those fade routes, but he was catching passes in the middle of the field with with uh, and and since he's got such a big body, you know, at, at Six five, he can clear space a little bit better. I think it's almost like more of like a basketball thing. Um, yeah, but he can kind of clear space out. in the middle of the field, and that's really valuable too. And that's also that's that that's a really great weapon to have a big target over the middle. Uh, also worth noting that the coaches did play Ty Jones at the end of the Fresno State game, so his redshirt's officially burned. Uh, it sounds like they 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 do they do want to get him on the field somehow, and and he was ready apparently in practice, and so they, they brought him in for Fresno State. So we'll see if he's got a gets a bigger role, and uh, perhaps uh, perhaps he's the option on the other side uh, in the red zone. Yeah, Pettis on one side and, and Ty Jones on the other. Yeah, we'll we'll see about Jones. I think um, the speculation on Twitter and amongst fans was. But that redshirt, at least in part, was burned because of uh, Andre Pacelli's injury, which I guess is bearing the lead there in the sense that Pacelli was out with an injury on Saturday against Fresno State, as was Chico McClatcher was suited but didn't play. Uh, Pacelli was just in sweats, I believe, and Drew Sample was also out with an injury and wasn't uh, dressed for the Huskies. Um, so that might have been part of the calculus and why Jones was uh, redshirt was you know burned. Saturday, but yeah, you're right, Jeff, for sure. He's definitely stepped up in camp, it sounds like. I mean, uh, I know guys like Adam Jude, the Seattle Times, and some other some other guys who were at the uh, at the fall camp really were raving about Jones in the first couple weeks there on the on in the fall camp. So he's definitely, I'm sure, shown that he has got the ability to produce this year, and obviously the coaches think he can contribute in some way this year. Um, whether or not he'll be an option in the red zone 
we'll have to see. And just, just to wrap up my point about Lenius in the red zone, it wasn't a knock on him at all. It, it was more, I was trying to say that like Pettis is, might, might be so elite with his footwork and athleticism that we might, you know, they might, defenses might not be able to stop Pettis down there in the red zone. We might not need to look other places. And if they do need to stop him, they might have to shade so heavily over the top yeah. with the safety help, then that's where someone like Lenius can just, you know, run a nice slant across the middle and use his size and, you know, Browning could find him in the back of the end zone for an easy, easy score. But I also wanted to mention that I think some fans and myself included to a certain extent still have some questions for running game. And I want to get uh, Rob back, back in on this, in this combo here. And Rob, what did you think about the running game? I know last week you were, pretty adamant that you wanted to see the Huskies run the ball and run the ball with success. And they didn't do that in the sense of forming, uh, you know, racking up a ton of yards, but they did have some nice efficiency numbers, or I should say Miles Gaskin had nice efficiency numbers. Right, right. Uh, no, none of the other running backs did, but Gaskin did. But but wanted to get your thoughts on that, Rob, since, since that was your, your big thing going into the game. Yeah, I think as I so eloquently put it, run the damn ball. And pretty much as you as you foreshadowed there, um, you know, Miles Gaskin averaging seven yards a carry with his eight touches, you know, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Coleman only had a 1.9 average for seven touches, which is obviously far from ideal. 13 yards as a whole, the team put up 92 yards on the ground. I'm looking kind of low. So, you know, there's, there's definitely not to the extent that I was hoping to see. You want to believe that they're going to be okay and sort of as you were talking about last week you know the game plan could have very well been hey the running game is going to be fine let's uh you know get jake working with this wide receiving core you know i think like 10 different guys ended up catching a pass in this game albeit from three different quarterbacks including dante pettis but uh yeah no the the rushing game as a whole still still room for improvement i don't want to say that my concerns are gone but gas can at least look good and with he and Coleman being the workhorses of this offense. You want to believe, based off of their production last year, and at least flashes early in the season, that they'll be able to get it going, um, hopefully next week here. Yeah, I think this is the week that we see Cole, or, uh, Gaskin finally get the you know 20-plus carries that we've all been wanting uh, from him. I think that, gosh, I wish I wish he didn't have that fumble last week so I could say, oh, yeah, that, give it to that the guy on his... the road who you know will just never fumble and he won't make a mistake, and he's just been so reliable over the last two years. But do you guys know? first fumble on almost 500 carries? So I mean, I'm you know, obviously it's he only fumbles once in every 500. That's I mean that'd be amazing. Yeah, that was my question. Uh, Had he ever fumbled before? That's remarkable. I think he maybe put it on the turf once, but we recovered it. Um, but gosh, I don't remember. I know that yeah, last I think it was season, his first lost fumble. Yeah, yeah, first lost fumble. So yeah, he might have dropped it once and we recovered it, but. Yeah, I know that last season, Gaskin and Coleman together, there were no lost fumbles between the two of them. I don't even think they ever put it on the ground at all. But yeah, I think I think this could be a weekend where where finally you know we we really give it to Miles Gaskin. I, mean, I can't imagine that we're gonna not try and establish the run against Colorado, considering we had so much success the last time we played them, which was not too long ago. Well, before before we jump ahead too far, Jeff, uh, heading in uh, talking about the next game against Colorado. I did want to make sure that we shouted out, highlighted Jake Browning's performance on Saturday against the Bulldogs because it was easily his best performance of the year. He finished 19 for 22 with uh, 255 passing yards and four touchdowns. 
QBR was 96.4, which is pretty incredible. Um, but it was definitely, I think, a performance that wasn't just boosted by lesser, uh, like playing an inferior opponent, like maybe last the week prior against Montana, where he put up some nice stats, but he wasn't really trusting his receivers and, you know, was had eyes, he wasn't giving his eyes downfield long enough. He was scrambling too fast. He definitely had total command of the offense. Um, yeah, but he, he brought it against Fresno State for sure. Yeah, and I feel that like I've sort the... of ignored him for the last few weeks and haven't really given him any praise or really uh, talked negative. I just almost kind of ignored him. But yeah, that he, he was incredible on Saturday and looked like, looked, I mean, just unbelievably that... efficient, accurate, everything. Yeah, that was the Browning that, you know, that was the Jake Browning of the year last year before, prior to his injury against, you know, USC and his, his struggles at the end of the year, which, you know, were probably large part to do with his arm uh, injury but yeah I mean you know he might you know the one knock on him maybe he wasn't getting the ball out fast enough still a little bit on Saturday I think we'll see again coming out this weekend you know he's gonna be going up against a much better competition in Colorado and their defensive lines and be able to put much more pressure and we won't be able to have as long as he won't be able to have as much time in the pocket um so he might need to make a little bit quicker decisions but I mean that we're really starting to nitpick um I think when we get to that point because again it wasn't like he was just staring down his receivers like he was doing a little bit against Montana the week before. You know, he was using his eyes to manipulate the D and, you know, keeping his feet active. And, you know, that was, you know, vintage Jake Browning and Browning at his best. So that was that was a lot of fun to watch. And when he plays like that, I mean, I'm confident in saying that the Huskies can really hang with just about anybody in the country. It's just whether or not, you know, and this might be a way to transition to the, you know, the game against Colorado, but it's whether or not he can do that against the top defenses in, in the in the country and in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And um, with that transition, we can jump straight into... I'm fascinated to see how Jake does against Colorado in regards to, you know, he was his shoulder was hurt last year during the Pac-12 championship game. Just the comp between the two. How does he come out uh, and do against, you know, still a a very good defense and a very good second Colorado secondary here, uh, even with its losses to the NFL. Fascinating to see uh, the difference between the first and second game, sort of regardless of the outcome. Yeah, definitely. It's I'm not sure how much stock to put into it in terms of comparing games. Uh, I know it's you know it's the easy thing to do, it's the natural thing to do, but this is a much different Huskies team. Um, we don't have obviously we all know who we've lost. We don't need to run over that anymore, and um, we know that. Colorado's lost quite a bit of NFL talent, like you said there, Rob. But yeah, it'll be an interesting matchup for sure. I mean, I think this is, I think what I find fascinating about this matchup is that the Huskies and the Buffs have had a really similar out of conference schedule. Um, I'd say that Colorado's played a better team um, in Colorado State than we have. I, I'd say Colorado State is better than Rutgers. I don't know how there's a way to prove that, but I think Colorado State is probably a better team than Rutgers. But yeah, you know, they, they've they also. Are. <laughs> they've also played, you know, Texas State, Northern Colorado. So that, you know, I'm sorry, that's pretty much like playing Fresno State and uh, Montana. And I think that their fans um, have a lot of the same worries that we do about their offensive line, about the defensive line. And then just more generally, like, what do we make of this team? What do we make of this, you know, out of conference schedule? I think Huskies fans have more reasons to be confident um, just in just based off last year alone, just based off of our success against both the Buffs and, you know, our college football playoff appearance. But in terms of just this season, I think 
we're we're in a really similar situation as fan bases in terms of like, well, okay, let's we think we know what we have, but this will be the real test this weekend. So I, I just I just think that that's an interesting thing. It's it's not like either like it's not like one of us can point to like have played a you know a top SEC team or a top conference team. Neither of us have played like a USC or a Stanford. But yeah, so I, I found that I find that to be rather interesting just because there's a lot of um, ambiguity, I guess, around the game. And, and touching on the fact that they, uh, the Huskies are obviously a different team and Colorado is a different team, uh, Colorado very, very much will be giving us a new look. Um, while they bring back most of their, and in fact, I think pretty much every single one of their pass catchers from last season with the exception of, I think, one tight end, um, which is pretty remarkable, they're breaking in a new quarterback, uh, Montez, who, of course, Husky fans would be familiar with. He played for, what, about a quarter during the Pac-12 championship game last year but has managed to, <clears throat> after like a fairly rough start to the season against Colorado State, I think he threw two picks in that game and maybe one touchdown. He's improved significantly uh, over the last two games and just had a great game last weekend against Northern Colorado, albeit an FCS opponent. Um, so it'll be exciting to see pretty pretty high-quality quarterback going against the Husky defense. Yeah, what you know, Lucas, I was going to just actually – uh, allude to what you said earlier about Colorado fans maybe having some some concerns about the offensive line. That is that is a little bit true. You know, Montez has been sacked uh, eight times in, in these first three games, but he's shown a bit of an ability, though, to make plays under duress. Um, again, and against Northern Colorado, there was a play he kind of got, got flushed from the pocket, kept his eyes downfield, rolled out. Hit, hit a streaking wide receiver for a touchdown. So he, he does he does pretty pretty okay um, running around a little bit, um, but he's definitely not a dual threat sort of in the traditional sense. Um, there's a little stat here that I'm going to read off from ESPN. Under duress, he's completed 9 of 14 passes for 129 yards with two touchdowns and interceptions. So those are pretty good numbers for being chased down by like 300-pound <laughs> defensive linemen. So bit of a challenge there and certainly the the husky defense will have to stay on for you know a few extra seconds even after a play breaks down the the you know our secondary our corners are gonna have to they might have to stay really covering guys while while play well if a play breaks down and they have to improvise a little bit i, I just want to point out really quick colorado's offensive line certainly has actually been a pretty big point of weakness for them this season they thought they were going to be pretty good heading into the season and they've been quite a bit of a letdown. But eight of those sacks that they've given up, um, seven came in the first two games, I believe, with only one last week. And it's of note that they didn't have their starting left tackle those two games. Uh, I think their starting five last game against Northern Colorado was probably four of the five starters, we'll see. And uh, so while cohesion's important, their offensive line, I think, is coming together a bit. So we will likely see an improved Colorado offensive line. Yeah, and they're yeah. only rushing for a buck fifty a game, and we're only and that's only twenty more yards than us. So, yeah, maybe those offensive line concerns are are warranted. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'll, I'll I'll look it up when I have a have a break here. But curious to see. I mean, I, I doubt they've been they've probably been more committed to the run than we have. It feels like, you know, we, we throw it more. We don't give that many carries to Miles Gaskin. But, yeah, I mean, Philip Lindsay right here, their kind of star tailback, has 71 carries so far in three games. Miles Gaskin only has 24. Yeah, uh, so... L- Lindsay's very much their, their do-everything back. 
um, he's almost always in the game. Yeah, and, and just so that um, we can give everybody kind of a full picture of what the the buffs, you know, offer on the offensive side of the ball. You alerted to it a little bit earlier, Rob, in terms of all the pass catchers essentially are back. Um, I mean, they have names that most, you know, Husky fans will probably remember and definitely people who pay attention to the conference remember Bryce Bobo, Shea Fields, Devin Ross, Jay McIntyre, you know. Yep. Bobo, Fields, and Ross are all seniors and they're good players. They have a lot. Of, I mean, Montez has a lot of weapons to work with at the wide receiver position and McIntyre, I think fans, you know, might remember him most for I think he was involved with both of the picks the Taylor Rapp picks last year if I remember correctly the pick six and then yeah the, the second. first one the first one I think went right off his hands into right into Taylor Rapp and I want to say it was the second I could be wrong uh, I don't I feel bad putting on McIntyre if I am wrong but I'm pretty certain he it went off his hands the second time as well and you know they weren't great passes but that is to say that you know McIntyre that might be the only memory Husky fans really have of him but he's a solid you know. Still an option. You know, he's definitely, you know, Bobo Fields and Ross are the three big ones there as they all have over 200 uh, receiving yards this season and, and McIntyre has yet to eclipse 100. But, you know, he's still got six catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. So he's got he's somebody we ha- the Huskies will have to account for. But, you know, going back to Montez a little bit, he is definitely has a much bigger arm than Sefa Lufau did uh, for the Buffs last year. I mean, Montez is a you know, he's a really impressive guy physically. Six foot five, yeah. two twenty five, and has a cannon of an arm. I mean, he has an absolute, you know, just a monster arm. So he can definitely hit big plays. I think some of the things for him have been more uh, issues with you know decision making um, and stuff. But he's he's got you know he played a little bit there in, in times last year for the Buffs because Mont- uh, Lufau had injury issues at times last year. I mean, I know he played. I don't know if he played. A, well necessarily i'd have to look back at the game but he did play against usc on the road early last year when the buffs nearly took down the trojans in la so he's got experience obviously played a little bit like we said in the pac-12 championship he's got experience in big games this will be a bit of a different situation for him now as the sole starter but you know he he is definitely a weapon for for uh uh, Mike McIntyre, and uh, just uh, you know, not to just to push back a little bit on what you said, Jeff, about him not being a a rushing you know dual threat quarterback. He's definitely not like a Brandon Dawkins or you know you know like a a Justin Herbert you know guy who has like serious ability to run. But I mean, I think he's their second leading rusher this season after Lindsey. Let me see. I just had this yeah um, stat here, um, but he's got impressive efficiency numbers he's got 19 rushes this year for 116 yards and a touchdown which is good for you know 6.1 yards per carry and that's not just you know kind of like Browning's um rushing where Browning will kind of just take off if if stuff is really broken down or might keep the you know very seldomly keep on the read option like he did this year against Montana or, or he did against Oregon last year but Montez they look to design runs for their quarterbacks and Montez is a big big body guy and he can you know he can drop his shoulder and, and break tackles and you know kind of as a power runner which is a little unique for a quarterback but he's definitely a, a bit of a threat for the huskies and the, uh, the huskies will have to worry about it. he's a bit of a threat on the on the ground again he's no brandon dawkins <laughs> but he but yeah sorry jeff got gone oh no i was just gonna say no, thanks for checking me on that um yeah I knew, I knew he was athletic and could run around a little bit but uh perhaps he's a bit more of a dual threat than I than I suspected, and and yeah, looking at the last game um, against Northern Colorado, 
10 attempts, uh, 10 rushes for 68 yards. Uh, how many of those were designed? How many of those were just you know, getting flushed out of the pocket? I can't say, but still, 10 for, for 68 is not bad at all. And just to jump back to the wide receivers for a quick minute, what's what's dangerous about them is that they they all bring like a different skill set uh, as, as a group. So, you know, Jay McIntyre is a you know, just solid possession receiver. Devin Ross, uh, much like our own former uh, Ross at wide receiver, is the speedster. Bryce Bobo is kind of like the big possession guy at six foot two. So they they bring they bring a, a, a together. They're really a well rounded group. Um, and I'm just going to interject here one moment back to Montez. Um, I completely forgot he was the Pac-12 uh, offensive player of the week in week three last year in his first collegiate start against Oregon. That's right. He was the quarterback, and that was when. That's so crazy to think just back to that game, just to digress here for a second, when that was that really dramatic game, and it was, you know, kind of shocked everybody in the yeah. college football landscape when Colorado went into Oregon and, and won that game in Otson. And I think McIntyre was crying after yeah. the game. He was <laughs> he so was. happy. Yeah. Like, you know, fast forward by the end of the year, and the Buffs had won the Pac-12 South, and Colorado or Oregon was, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, that was just crazy that that seems like it could have been four years ago or something, but it was just last year. Yeah, really un- unbelievable progression uh, for, for the two teams and the directions that they've gone. No, not to talk about the Ducks. They look like they suddenly, suddenly decent. Who knows? Um, but yeah, back back to Colorado. Yeah, that uh, that really was a huge game for them. And I believe, yeah, he, he threw... I think it was to Bryce Bobo. It was like back corner of the end zone with, you know, seconds left on the clock, game-winning touchdown, and yeah, that was a huge game for them. Well, to transition to the defense here a little bit, yeah, I think uh, everybody expected the defense there to take a little bit of a step back for the Buffs just because they lost so much on the on the defensive side of the ball, so much talent last year, and, and they also lost their, you know, very good defensive coordinator, Jim Levitt, who, you know, went to Odson to join Willie Taggart at Oregon, um, and they don't seem to have regressed, really, on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, last week they didn't have their best showing against Northern Colorado. They got burned for some big plays, which is kind of not typical for the Colorado DBs. And I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I think it was much more of a just kind of a sloppy overall play as, like, uh, playing an FCS team the week before having a matchup with a top 10 team. I mean, I think it's natural for them, you know, if they were looking ahead, that's that's kind of what I would chalk it up to more than anything else. But just wanted to shout out a name that some Husky fans might remember is um, Drew Lewis, inside linebacker for the Buffs. He was with the Huskies in 2014. I think he redshirted if I'm – might be wrong on that, but I think he redshirted that year. I don't think he ever played for the Huskies. Somebody should check me on that. But he is there – leading tackler this year with 20 tackles yeah, and one sack. Yeah, he's playing very well for them. Um, and, and you're right, I, I don't think he played. I think you're right in, in what you said there. I think he, he redshirted and then picked off the team, left the program. I can't quite remember. But yeah, that was uh, turns out to be a really nice pickup for Colorado. Yeah, definitely. I think they're using him more as a... Uh, yeah, you're right. He was dismissed from the program here. Um, looks like he violated team rules obviously that's all we're going to ever know from peterson and what he did uh, but was dismissed from the team so you know it's nice to see the kid definitely able to put it back together get it get it right at colorado and have some success that's always good to see once when a guy gets kicked off the team uh for team rules issue um gets it back together but yeah i think back to the way he's been performing it sounds like they're using him more as like a edge rusher and uh you know he's got a sack this year he is, and he's got 20 tackles, and I think he, he's a really productive player for the Buffs. 
Yeah, agreed. They they've got uh, I think nine nine sacks in their first three games. So yeah, the defense that that was definitely a little bit of an area of concern for them. But two two Buffalo defenders were suspended uh, for some period of time uh, recently for for targeting. Is that right? Do either of you guys know anything about that? Yeah. So it looks like senior free safety, and I'm just gonna butcher this name here. I've got you know no chance. Afolabi Laguda and defensive end Chris Mulumba were um, both ejected for targeting. Laguda was ejected, I think, right at the end of the first half. So he was suspended for the second half of the Northern Colorado game and will be eligible to play against the Huskies Saturday. But Mulumba was ejected in the second half, so he'll have to miss the first half of the game on Saturday. Uh, for the Huskies. So definitely something to keep an eye on there for Husky fans. Um, you know, I'm sure this will harken Husky fans back to when Azim was ejected for targeting. I want to say that was two years ago now, heading into that Oregon matchup. And, you know, I'm not saying Malimba is as important for their defense as uh, Victor is, obviously, but it is still something to keep an eye on. And just to have two players ejected for targeting in one game is, is you know, pretty remarkable. But yeah, so the Buffs will be down Malimba in the second, in the, in the first half. Uh, on Saturday. Definitely a hit to their starting D. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no question. Yeah, uh, I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, Colorado has been, obviously, they were pretty good last year, and they're probably going to be good again this year. But, um, yeah, I can't imagine if they're missing, like, two starters on the defense that uh, they can just reload instantly. But uh, but who knows? But definitely will be, will be a loss for them, that's for sure. Also worth noting, Dante Pettis. We were talking about him and his returns uh, from punts, and his uh, very first punt return for a touchdown uh, in his career, and I believe the first one in like 11 years or something for the Huskies, was against Colorado four years ago uh, at uh, in Buffalo. He also caught a touchdown in that game, too. Uh, nice pass from, gosh, he was quarterback then. Tyler Miles, right? That would have been Miles. You're right, that was Tyler Miles. That was my first thought, but then for some reason I thought that he never was with Peterson, but yeah, he was that first year. But yeah, wow, talk about different time, but who knows, maybe maybe we'll have a little Pettis, uh, Pettis flashback at uh, Colorado this weekend. Speaking of which, have you guys thought at all, or what, what do you make of the, the elevation? I mean, obviously Boulder's, what, like 5,000 feet up or something? I, I don't want to make too big of a deal of this. But it's also kind of real. Yeah, I don't know what to think of it, to be honest. I, I go back and forth on whether or not it's um, a real thing or not. I mean, I'm sure there's some there's some part of it. I think teams like to play it up. I think that's why it's a part of it. I mean, I'm sure the Buffs won. And, you know, it's a psychological edge for sure for the Buffs to have that altitude. And it's such a, you know, a talking point. And, you know, will it be it? Yeah, you know, potentially, I suppose, um, in the same way that, like, the rain is a factor here for a team like Arizona State, I guess, um, who just doesn't get a practice in it very often. Um, but, you know, Chris Peterson talks about it where he says, you know, he used to go up to Wyoming all the time at Boise State, and they never had a problem with altitude. I know he's mentioned before, when talking about Utah games, sometimes he's diplomatic, um, sometimes he's not. I know last year, um, before the Utah game, I believe he, you know, pretty much dismissed it out of hand. I don't think he did it as much this year, but you know, it's a factor. But I don't think anybody, you know, if that's if that's the case, then if, if we're looking at altitude as a reason for why, you know, why the game went the way it did on Saturday, one probably means we lost, and two probably means it didn't go well at all. 
And I would think that, that there would be a lot more tangible things to point out than that um, if that was the case. But yeah, it's yeah, something to watch, I suppose. But, I, I think I'm inclined uh, to agree with you, Lucas. Um, I bring it up just because I know it's been a, a talking point for some people this week. But yeah, I, 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 sure. I can't imagine, you know, having, you know, anybody who's hiked at Elevation knows that thin air is real, but... In regards to how it affects this game, I think it'll be minimal if, you know, essentially non-existent. Yeah, they're, I mean, not only are they incredibly well-conditioned, I think that, yeah, just, it's, I, I mean, yeah, I think because of that, I think they're just incredibly well-conditioned. That that negates part of it, um, and also, if it was such a huge deal, then Colorado would win every game at home, and they don't, though they have won their last eight, I think. Yeah, uh, um, no- noteworthy. Yeah. So maybe we can play spoilers, spoiler this weekend. It, it, um, it and yeah, to... I feel like the altitude has about as much of an effect as like LSU with their live tiger outside of the <laughs> opposing locker room. It's just a psychological thing. If you feel like it's going to scare you and make a big deal, then it probably will. And if you just play your game, then it won't. And I think I'll backtrack a little bit on what I said even, like, downplay it even more. I would say rain has a bigger effect than, like, something like altitude. Rain has a tangible effect on whether or not you can catch a football. I don't think altitude does that in any tangible way. Yeah, see Tanner that... McAvoy in this week's Seahawks game. <laughs> right. Jeff, you just alluded to it, but undefeated at home since November of 2015. Yeah, as much as I like talking about the weather, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe talking about that a little bit. Well, I'd actually like to go back and see who their last five home games were. So, or eight, excuse me. Yeah, it's another they beat, Well, actually, pretty good teams here. I mean, they beat Utah and Wazoo and UCLA. So the last game they lost at home. Looks like they haven't lost at home since 2015. Yeah, I, I, really? I think wow. it, it dates into November 2015. They're, they're home well, here, I am, here I am trying to downplay the... Yeah, it was basically when they were garbage in 2015 and they lost, like, most of their games. Though it was actually incredibly close. 27-24 lost to USC at home. Was it in uh, November of 2015? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I am... it's, it's, it's a real home field advantage. Like, clearly. Yeah, I mean, Colorado students, they like to party, I'm sure, and the team's good, and so people will definitely be out up for that game. It's Saturday night, so they'll be plenty well lubricated, I'm sure. But yeah, no, no reason to think it won't be a tough environment at Folsom Field there and yeah it's it's always it's it's one of college football's unique places with the mountains and um, not to belabor the point but the altitude plus the you know the the Ralphie run with the live buffalo out onto the field which is always fun so yeah it should be a great um, environment and I'm sure no doubt helps them play very well at home for sure we've we've covered uh, the Colorado game coming up pretty well now so uh, what do you guys see happening in this game? Um, wh- what are your predictions? What's your, what's your outlook on what we can expect from this game as Husky fans? Jeff, I'll toss it up to you first. Okay, so I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, before we started recording, Lucas, you were saying that you were kind of nervous for this game and how it was kind of weird to be as a Husky fan to actually be nervous about a football game. But, you know, I'm, I feel a little bit nervous too. Colorado is definitely the first team we've played this season with a pulse here. So that's worth noting. I think nothing about the, a, a team, the team since we've had Chris Peterson is, will lead me to believe that they will come into a game and be unprepared. I think the offense is going to struggle a little bit, but I do think the Huskies win. They're 10-point favorites. I've been going really back and forth on whether they cover. Ultimately, I think they do, and I think that they will win 27-17 with uh, the defense 
winning the day. Oh god, I just said an Oregon thing. Oh god. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think the defense is gonna is gonna bring it. I feel like we haven't heard much from Azim Victor and Keyshawn Bearia, but they're two senior middle linebackers, and I think that they, by the end of the game, will be very well acquainted with Philip Lindsay. And yeah, I think the Huskies win twenty seven seventeen. Lucas, how about you? Yeah. Um, well, before I dive into my prediction, I do want to say something to what Jeff said. I'm usually incredibly nervous for every Husky game. Uh, I guess these last two weeks, Fresno State and Montana have been a little bit of an exception just because the competition is so inferior but yeah i'm it's i'll say i'm not used to being i'm not used to being in this position as a fan of having a top 10 husky team going on the road against a good team you know expected to win and you know actually able to win i'm used to like oh this is the year we go to arizona state and finally win and then get absolutely shellacked and we win seven games so that's kind of what i grew up in and so I'm used. I'm not used to having positive expectations, as opposed to just more like impending doom and dread fear. <laughs> but yeah, ditto everything that you just said. <laughs> that being said, we'll get into the actual actual game here. So I I'm kind of like I'm not sure. I'm still definitely nervous about this game. I think this is a good team. I think I have a ton of respect for Philip Lindsay for sure. I mean, he's you know my favorite running back to watch in the league outside Miles Gaskin is Philip Lindsay, mainly because he's like a lot like Miles Gaskin. I like the way he runs. He's maybe a little bit more like overtly powerful than Gaskin where like how Gaskin just somehow can't be tackled. It makes a little more sense with Lindsay because he runs a little more violently, but he just does a great job setting up his blocks. He has great vision. He's a lot of fun to watch. And I, I, you know, I think Steven Montez is definitely a weapon for them on offense. And we already went over their wide receivers. Um, So they definitely have weapons on offense, but you know, just looking at the numbers, I'm feeling a little bit more confident about the Huskies. If you look at Bill Conley's S&P numbers and kind of dive into like his advanced stat profile a little bit here, um, he talks about how, and if people don't know, Bill Conley is, you know, a big advanced stats kind of guru for the for SB Nation and has created like his own like pretty sophisticated advanced stats system. And I would definitely suggest if you haven't uh, and you like advanced stats to check out Football Study Hall on SB Nation. It's a pretty, pretty awesome resource. But he talks about how a way to measure a team that's played against weak non-conference, a weak non-conference schedule, uh, if they're actually good on offense or defense, is efficiency. And if you look at the Colorado's efficiency rank, they rank 61st in the country, which is definitely good, but it's not something that should necessarily make, you know, put the, you know, put the fear of God into Husky fans. You know, for, for instance, the Huskies are ranked sixth in the country in efficiency right now on offense. And, you know, I think what's surprising to me is that the Buffaloes are not good at finishing drives. They are points per trip in 40 yards or less. Uh, they rank 112th in the country. And I think that's something that really plays into the Husky defense. If you kind of think about the way Piotowski likes to play with, like, dropping safeties well back into coverage and kind of having us keep everything in front. Um, so we're really, like, not susceptible to giving up big plays. Um, kind of a bendy don't break offense but then kind of when the huskies get into the red zone we're pretty pretty lethal down there and and the fact that they're not elite and so far from being elite to being one of the worst teams in the country within 40 yards and closer gives me a lot of confidence heading into the game that our defense though they might the offense colorado's offense might rack up a lot of yards at the end of the game um, that doesn't always translate to points um it isn't even the best way to just um, a much better metric to look at as efficiency 
So I'm feeling pretty, pretty good there. Um, I'm also feeling good about Jake Browning. I like a lot what I saw from him last Saturday. I think that we'll see a lot more of what he did against Fresno than what he did against Montana. And I think Husky fans have had a very legit question about Browning based off of his performance last year, where he was so incredible as the season, you know, as a whole in the season, but his worst games came against our best competition against USC, against Colorado, against Alabama. So the question has kind of been a it's kind of been prove it in some sense from Husky fans about him against really, really top D, uh, elite Ds. And this is a very good Colorado defense. And I think this is the game where Browning really shines and puts it together and has a, has a good game. I'm expecting him to throw, you know, three touchdowns. I don't expect the pick. I think he's going to be, I think it's going to be vintage Browning. And I also think the run game is going to get it going. Um, Gaskins, as we already talked about, has had good efficiency numbers all throughout the year this year. And I think that will continue. Um, so I think if I had to peg a final score right now, I would go 42 to 24 UW, which obviously covers both the 10 point spread by Vegas and the 11.6 projected spread by S&P. So 42-24 UW is my prediction. Perfect. And just to touch on what you said there, I think you much more eloquently stated what I was trying to say earlier in the episode of the the sort of looking for the prove-it game from Jake. You know, just seeing how he does match up against, you know, a, a quality defense in a big game. And, you know, it's, it could be that, you know, this game ultimately ends up being not, not quite the matchup that I think... As we touched on, uh, several of us are f- afraid it could be, or perhaps n- nervous is the better word, just going into Pac-12 regular season play here on the road. But uh, I-, I do expect the Huskies to come out and ultimately, you know, as, as you've touched on, our-, our offense is much more efficient. Um, you know, we scored, I think, almost, if actually significantly more, like 14 or 15 points more a game than the Colorado offense, I would, I would guess. Um, I-, I think you were talking about national statistics there. Colorado's offense is yeah. the middle of the pack. Um, I think it's seven in total scoring offense and seven in overall offense um, in the Pac-12. So with all these factors in mind, I mean, if you just want to look at a simple matchup predictor on ESPN.com, they have an 83.3% chance of the Huskies winning. Take that for what you will. This could be a very, uh, ultimately a fairly comfortable win for the Huskies. I would think of something, you know, along the lines of like a 31 to 17. I also, in the back of my mind, have this completely irrational uh, and probably just poor decision uh, on my part of hoping that the Huskies keep all opponents under 20 points this season based off of the success last season. That seems. Yeah, we've, had, we've had a nice streak keeping opponents under 30. Exactly. Um, going, going back. Well, it doesn't go back into 2015 because the bowl game we gave up 31 to Southern Miss. But, but yeah, Colorado under 20 would certainly be a nice accomplishment. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it could be a pipe dream. Ultimately, this is college football. Offenses are generally high scoring. But um, I'd like to. I'd like to see it be done if possible. So yeah, I think 31 to 17 is my prediction for this game, which places me between you guys, I believe. Yeah. Cool. And just to comment just one thing i wanted to say yeah lucas about about the defense and just the overall philosophy it's really incredible how much they make you just earn every single yard and the yards per play i mean we never seem to have games where uh where where the yards per play number where we have worse yards per play it's like they always you know they might possess the ball a lot more than us and run a lot more plays but they're maybe only just getting three four yards a pop so 
yeah, uh, really uh, great points. Thank you for bringing in the uh, the smart analysis there. Uh, <laughs> no yeah. problem. And yeah, for sure, I, I totally agree. I agree with you saying in terms of our ability to like mitigate big plays. I think you know not to jump back to, to the old to the Fresno State game, but one of the things that stuck out to me about the defensive side of the ball as a nitpick, but but was um, more missed tackles than um, we're used to. And I think a lot of it was just guys over pursuing a little bit, uh, just because they were you know I think. Just getting to the point of the attack so fast, it was almost a detriment to the Huskies. So they're going to need to clean that up this week because that is a big part of their defense is that they, uh, the, the coaching staff expects the defenders to make open field tackles and also to obviously rally to the ball as a team, um, which the Huskies do a great job of, of like rallying to the ball. But yeah, I, I agree that just in the sense that our defense is very good at make, like, you know, making them earn it. Dink and dunk doesn't really work against the Huskies. Uh, I think it shows why, like, Wazoo usually accumulates a pretty impressive, decent amount of yards against the Huskies, but, you know, comes away with so few points because once they get down yeah. to the red zone, you just can't dink and dunk anymore. You just can't do it. You don't have enough field, and we just tighten up, and, you know, that's when it really starts to show. So as long as the Huskies can keep them, keep Lindsay from gashing them for, like, six to seven yards per run, I think they should be okay and kind of keep Montez in check just if we're going to go on the ground. If we're going to go back to last year, teams that gave us trouble were teams that had quarterbacks that could scramble, like Arizona. Dawkins, yeah. Oof. Troy Williams had a you know decent time uh, on the ground last year against the Huskies, though. That was pretty much the fact that Joe Williams you know, was an absolute monster in that game. But, you know, Jalen Hurts, Bo Scarborough, uh, Sam Darnold, those are all, everything that they have. All those quarterbacks have in common is that they can run the ball, um, which Montez can do is do to a certain extent as well. So they will need to keep that in check. But again, I'm I'm thinking that they will be able to do it, and I'm thinking our offense is going to be able to make Colorado pay for being inefficient on offense. Yeah. And so so before moving on, real quick from each of us, curious, what is what is one thing that you want to see out of the Husky team after after the game on Saturday? Like, you want to look back and say. Yes, they they did this great thing. Yeah, um, I guess if I had to say one thing, I don't know. I'm torn between like, do I want to watch Browning shut him through the air, or do I want to watch him watch us pound him on the ground? I'd be fine with either. I think it's hard. But once we get into conference play, these types of questions get a little harder because it's not like Montana and Fresno State where the expectation is to obviously win, and even Rutgers where like we expected to win that game and we expected to win in a more dominating fashion than we did, and I think that's why there was a little bit of hand-wringing by all of us when we didn't perform as dominantly as kind of Husky fans were hoping we would. But it's hard, like, to say, like, I mean, if the Huskies win, like, 21 to 20 on Saturday, I will take it. And, yeah, well, some if it, if it ends up being Browning, you know, has some of his similar problems he showed last year and or we're not able to run the ball, I'll, we'll, you know, I'll be the first one wringing my hands on this podcast and uh, in the comment section that's for sure but at the same time like it's one thing to not be able to run the ball um against an inferior opponent it's another thing to go on the road and win and struggle you know if that makes sense yeah definitely rob how about you any anything in particular you're looking to see out of the huskies on saturday i i will go ahead and agree with lucas that you know obviously as i touched on last week as we've already touched on this episode the running game, you know, be, being able to see that that's healthy and functional and, you know, if if we build up a lead, just kind of like uh, the end of last year, you know, how successfully can we run out the clock? I'm not 
I'm not overly concerned that we won't be able to. I, I'm almost expecting that we see it uh, develop this game and function effectively. But in the back of my mind, you know, there is that worry. I think I, I, I think those fears will be uh, hopefully put to rest, though, by the end of this game. I'm, I'm thinking almost more on the defensive side of the ball. I would love to see a few more sacks. Uh, and I mean, again, coming back to beating a dead horse, we're talking about the running game, you know, and the pass rush. Knowing knowing that Montez is a, a bit of a running gun quarterback, it would be great to see if the defensive line and as as well as our backers can not only try and force it to keep him in the pocket, but really get home and and add to that uh, sack total on the season. Yeah, Rob, that was uh, I'll admit that was the reason why I asked this question is so I could say the one thing I wanted to see with Huskies was an improved pass rush. I think that sorry, uh, sorry, it could sorry, be sorry, a really. That. It, yeah, it could be it could be a long day if um, long night at night rather if uh, Montez can pick us apart and then if not scramble for for first downs. So yeah, I think uh, I'd really love to see the pass rush uh, kick it up a notch. Yeah, just so that I'm not party pooper here or whatever, I will answer the question with my long-winded caveat already stated and say that I guess Rob, you kind of mentioned it. Pass rush would obviously be awesome. I'd love to see like this be the day where. Benning Potai channels his inner Kihaha and has like three sacks. Oh, but, uh, in, just just for the sake of the fact that we don't all agree with each other completely, it would be awesome. I mean, I would just love it if the Huskies were able to, you know, get up, let's just say like 28 to 10 at halftime and able to just come out and just grind the bus on the ground for, you know, uh, and just use the run game and, you know, just run the clock. And, you know, everybody in the stadium knows we're going to run it and we're going to run the ball anyway and we're going to do it with success. Um, we did that last year in most games, not every game, but in most games where we had big leads, we were able to just kind of grind teams down. And it was really fun to watch. And it was something as like a Husky fan who hasn't seen the Huskies be very good that I was totally foreign and it was completely awesome. Um, so I would love to see that again because it's really fun to watch. Cool. Very um, cool. Yeah. If you either of you, and you guys can shoot me down on this, if you either of you wants to take like a one minute rundown of the USC Texas. Oh man, uh, I could talk a lot actually about the USC Texas game. I yeah, I was I was watching that um, yeah. with concurrently with the Husky game. That was insane. And there's a there's a whole like sub sub argument there of as a Husky fan, are you watching that game being like, I can't believe USC might lose this game. Thank God, I hate USC versus hey, this is arguably bad for the Huskies if USC loses to Texas. And, you know, which side you come out of there. I, I don't know. I've already had that argument this week, but maybe that's too much to get into right now. Oh, hey, actually, look at that. All right, so it sounds like we have a little bit of breaking news um, here while we're recording again um, on Tuesday evening. Death Charts just released, and, you know, the biggest development there is that sounds like the tight end position. Jeff, do you want to take that? Yes, thank you. So the tight end position, I believe last week, Hunter Bryant was listed firmly uh, second team. And right now he's listed as a either or with Will Bisley. So sounds like officially moving up in the depth chart, moving up in the world. But yeah, I think it definitely kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the pod that Hunter Bryant is absolutely carving a role for himself in the offense. And I think the coaches want to see that happen. I think that uh, there's going to be a little bit of a lack of like real playmakers or explosiveness in the offense. And I think Hunter Bryant's unique skill set, they're really trying to get it on the field more. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a big, big uh, 
development there for the freshman product from Musa Catholic, who I don't know if this was mentioned or not, but I'll mention it again. He had three catches for 99 yards last week and nearly took one to the house. He can run the seam very nicely. Yeah, we were just talking about Ty Jones, more incorporation of these young, talented playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. Exciting to see. Well, just wrapping this up real quick um, with a quick Pac-12 roundup of last week and then maybe a look ahead to what the league we're generally has in store for week four. Rob and Jeff, I know you guys both were able to catch the USC-Texas game. I wasn't able to catch it. I was um, at a wedding. Um, but if you guys wanted to talk a little bit about that, about that game, the rematch, as uh, it was dubbed, that surprisingly lived up to the hype. Yeah, it was really a pretty unbelievable game. I mean, Texas's defensive line was just unbelievable. They they shut down USC's run game. I think it was, I want to say it was 7-7, seven 10-7 seven, seven going into halftime or something like that. And then just a crazy, crazy play. Sam Donald threw a couple picks. They were just, there was a crazy, crazy play at the very end there. Texas was in like prevent defense. Uh, USC just doing like the four verts thing at the end of half, at the end of half. And Sam Donald checks it down to Ronald Jones, who ends up getting a massive, massive block from one of the wide receivers and runs it in for like 50 yards for a touchdown. So really like the exact opposite of what you <laughs> would expect to happen on uh, like a Hail Mary prevent play to just dump it underneath and, and have him run it all the way in. But it was an unbelievable game. Uh, Vic, Vince, uh, what's that Texas wide receiver's name? Can you guys help me out? He's like 6'6". He was just absolutely incredible. Sam Ellinger, the true freshman QB for for Texas, was just throwing it up to him all night. Also running like 30 yards behind the line of scrimmage before throwing it. If anyone was watching that, you'll know what I'm talking about. And yeah, that Texas wide receiver was just unbelievable. Uh, Yeah, ended up going double overtime. Just a really amazing game. And the kind of crazy thing is the kicker for USC, I believe this is their third string kicker because their first string guy got kicked off the team. Something happened with him that was not good. Got kicked off the team. The next guy uh, got injured either earlier in the season or in fall camp. It's another one of their third string true freshman walk-on kicker. And he had a bad miss early in the game, but nailed it when it counted at the end for the win. That was great, man. Thank you for jumping in and doing that. Yeah, so that was that was uh, last weekend's other big game. Uh, Lucas, do you have any other thoughts on any of the upcoming Pac-12 games for this weekend? Yeah, not not a ton on the docket for the league this this week here. The big ones, I guess, would be the biggest one. Maybe a little argument here is UCLA Stanford. That one is almost kind of like the um, like early game of like two of the most disappointing teams in the country. You know, Stanford obviously had some semi-fringe. I wouldn't call it fringe. I'd say there was a you know strong minority of national writers who had Stanford as a playoff pick this year, and they're now one and two. With um, following up their loss against USC two weeks ago, they lost again this last weekend to San Diego State. The offense was only able to muster 17 points. Uh, seemed to have some pretty big quarterback issues there, but. Uh, Taking on UCLA, who I don't know if a lot of Husky fans had much faith in Jim Moore or the Bruins to be able to get it done this year. You know, they're two and one coming off of a disappointing yet not incredibly surprising loss to Memphis. I mean, you know, credit to Memphis, they're a good team, but it's not surprising that Jim Moore wasn't able exactly to get his team up and ready to play to go across the country. Um, it was a very, very noticeable trap game. I, I think you Moore touched on UCLA that last week. For the trap. If I remember correctly, to to your credit, uh, I, I believe you called this a, a trap game last week. So 
credit yeah, to you yeah. on that. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that credit. Thanks, Rob. But yeah, so those, that, that's probably the biggest, most interesting one. Um, USC California is also another one to watch, I guess. Cal's 3-0, and most surprising start easily, probably in the whole country, is uh, Justin Wilcox. Obviously, Husky fans remember Justin Wilcox, former defensive coordinator, now the head coach at Cal. Has the Bears off to a 3-0 start with victories over North Carolina, Weaver State, and Ole Miss. Knocked off Ole Miss last week at home. I'm not really expecting Golden Bears to be able to muster much of a fight, but, you know, I didn't expect them to win three games. Uh, I didn't expect them to win th- B3-0 at least to start the year, so maybe they're able to give USC a run. We'll definitely be one to watch. But other than that, Utah-Arizona, we'll see. Arizona looked good last week, but that was against Utah. I'm expecting That's Utah to win there. Thursday night game, right? Friday night, maybe? I think it was Friday night, yeah. Friday night, yeah. But that was UTEP, so not much to be gleaned from that. No, I mean, um, I Utah did their game this week. Utah, oh, yeah, Arizona. you're right. Yes, it is Friday. Yeah, yeah, my bad. Yeah, yep. This Friday night, Utah, Arizona. And then there's Oregon, Arizona State. I believe Arizona State, will. that's in Tempe. So a little bit of a road test for the Ducks, but Arizona State has just looked bad this year. That really hasn't changed much. Manny Wilkins has had yeah, a nice gonna, year. But. Yeah, Manny Wilkins seems to be pretty good and emergence of some new wide receivers besides Nikhil Harry, like uh, Jalen Harvey. Seems like he could be pretty good, so, yeah. Definitely some weapons on offense for the Sun Devils. It's just not their issue. is not offense. Yeah, uh, they're never really been terrible. And then rounding out the week as Nevada heads to the Palouse to take on the uh, undefeated Cougs, who demolished um, Oregon State last week and will definitely expect the Cougs to be 4-0 and handle the Wolf Pack. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's pretty bad, I think. Yeah, they're they're not good. <laughs> no uh, doubt they'll be mystified by the beauty of the Palouse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that'll round it out for this week, guys. We covered a lot of stuff. Uh, Fresno State game, upcoming Colorado game, uh, some relevant Pac-12 news. Some nice work again all around. Jeff, Lucas, thanks for coming out again, guys. I, I appreciate you being here. My pleasure as always. Yeah, of course. It was a lot of fun. Go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs.